Let's take a moment to pray together now. Let's pray. Guide me, O the great Jehovah. Lord, we make that prayer for ourselves as we gather here today, from all the individuality of our lives, from all the challenges that we face, all the joys that lift our hearts. We need guidance in our own living. We also need guidance as a congregation, indeed as a national church, to know how best to rise to the challenges that face us in these days. So Lord, our first business in seeking guidance is to wait and to listen attentively to what you have to say to us. So help us as we begin to do more of that in the weeks and months and years that lie ahead as we seek to discern your will for the National Church, but more specifically for our own church here in the parish of Belhelvey. So be with us this morning in worship, and may your words speak to our hearts and minds as we gather today to honour you and to find the way forwards. Amen. To Captain Meriwether Lewis, Esquire. Captain of the 1st Regiment of Infantry of the United States of America. The object of your mission is to explore the Missouri River and such principal stream of it as by its course and communication with the water of the Pacific Ocean may offer the most direct and practicable water communication across this continent for the purposes of commerce. Signed, Thomas Jefferson, President of the United States of America, 20th of June, 1803. For over 300 years, explorers from at least four different sovereign nations had been searching for a water route that would connect the Pacific Ocean with the Missouri River. Because the Missouri flowed into the Mississippi, and the Mississippi was the gateway to the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic, the Missouri's in blue there, the Mississippi in red. If you could find a navigable waterway connecting the Pacific to the Atlantic, the west to the east, you were made. It would be like owning the internet in today's world. So it was with a huge sense of anticipation that 15 months after Lewis and his colleague Clark and their men were sent on their mission, 15 months of aching limbs and bear attacks and insect bites and sheer exhaustion and the loss of friends, they found themselves, with the guidance of Native American Indians, standing astride the spring that became the mighty Missouri. This was the key to the Northwest Passage and their own place in the annals of American history. So it was with light hearts that they carried their canoes up the last stretch of the hill, fully expecting to find the same undulating gentle slopes on the other side and rivers that would carry them all the way to the Pacific. So you can imagine their horror when they crested the hill to see a sight that no living American had seen before the Rocky Mountains, in all their severe 
ice-capped glory. One of Lewis's companions later wrote, they were the most terrible mountains I ever beheld. There was no northwest passage, no navigable river, no water route. The assumptions of the brightest and best minds of the previous 300 years had been absolutely mistaken. They were going to have to go off map, give up their plans and take risks because what lay before them was nothing like what lay behind them. Their mission wasn't over, far from it. But the terms of that mission had radically changed. I tell you that story this morning because I think it sheds a little light on our own story as we lay Christendom to rest at the beginning of the 21st century. We are in a different world than the one that we grew up in. We may not like it, but we are. Church going used to be the norm in Scotland. Now it's a minority interest. People used to join things and contribute out of a sense of duty and responsibility. It's getting harder to find that commitment from people these days, and not just in the church. There used to be a steady stream of folk wanting to join the local congregation and get involved, but now those streams have dried up, and there seems to be little interest in church, at least church as we practice it. Look around you this morning. Two generations are missing from our congregation and congregations like ours. Where are your children and your grandchildren this morning, if you have them? Like the polar ice caps, our membership is melting away and they're not being replaced. Can these bones live? God asks Ezekiel in this morning's reading. And in terms of the Church of Scotland, that's an open question, I have to tell you. This isn't about blame. Blaming ourselves for not doing a better job of passing on our faith to others or blaming them for not listening to us and choosing other priorities in life. It's not about blame. It's about looking reality in the face and trying to understand what's going on so that we can begin to discern the way forward. And I do mean we discern the way forward. Don't kid yourself that Paul will come up with the answers because Paul's just as clueless about this as everybody else. I wasn't trained for this any more than Lewis was trained to deal with the Rocky Mountains. All this change has come as a nasty surprise to all of us, but I do know that we can't keep plowing the same old furrows. New territory demands a new approach, even if that is just a recovery of old things that we've long forgotten about. It was Einstein who said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results. The last 30 or 40 years have shown us beyond a shadow of doubt that what we're doing 
as a church isn't producing results, at least in terms of membership. And redoubling our efforts to sustain things that aren't working as they used to, or frantically trying new things we haven't the resources for, may not be the best way forward. I always remember my colleague John Matthews talking about a report that came across his desk when he worked for General Electric. He was quite high up in the organization. And somewhere in the body of the text was the memorable phrase, having lost sight of our goals, we redoubled our efforts. So we got nowhere twice as fast. It's not just about making more effort, although that's part of it. Like Lewis and Clark, faced with mountains we didn't expect in front of us, we need to be thinking hard about the direction that we're taking. I heard a wee story a while ago that illustrates that very well, I think. For a long time, Kodak were the household name in photography. Uh, They made photography accessible to the masses by producing cheap but simple-to-use cameras. But they made their real money producing film and processing the photographs. By 1976, Kodak had 85% of the market share of cameras and 90% of the share on film. They totally cornered the market. Ironically, the year before that, Steve Sassoon, an engineer at Kodak, created the first digital camera. So in that sense, they were ahead of the curve. They even developed some of the first platforms for sharing digital images online. But they didn't see the potential in those developments. As far as the leadership were concerned, it was all about film and processing, film and processing. And by the time the digital horse had bolted and sales of film plummeted, it was too late to change direction. In 1981, Kodak had worldwide sales of $10 billion. 21 years later, they were filing for bankruptcy. And there are a lot of lessons we could learn from their story. But the main one is that they went under because they lost sight of their real purpose. Their real purpose was to try and democratize taking photos so there wasn't just something for the elite. They wanted people to be able to capture and share photographic images by whatever means. And if they kept that in view, they would have flourished. But they get caught up in the particular medium that had worked so well for them in the past, the medium of film. And being wedded to film was their downfall. You know, I often think that oil and gas companies need to be doing the same thing today. Their real purpose is in supplying the world's energy. But if they're wedded solely to oil and gas, they're going to die out when supplies of oil and gas die out or the world decides to favor more sustainable forms of energy production. They need to start jumping on the renewables bandwagon now before it's left the station. And some are, some perhaps aren't. When we lose sight of our overarching vision and become wedded to our particular way of doing things, we run the risk of becoming redundant. 
The author, William Bridges, illustrates that point very well in his book, Managing Transitions. Bridges argues that the organizational development, a typical organizational development, follows a very predictable pattern. It starts at the top with dreaming a dream. So for Kodak, the dream was to democratize photography so that everybody could take and share photographs. And they launched the venture. They started their business. They got organized. They began to succeed and make some sales. But then by the time they get to five, they're really becoming an institution. They need to have plant. They need to invest money in plant and structures and in people. It becomes a big thing that needs maintained. But then is the key fork in the road. Either, once they've achieved this and become successful and become an institution, they either keep reinventing themselves as things change, taking what's called the path of renewal, which for them would have been progressing into digital photography and all it meant, or they can close in and close down and say, no, this is what we do. This is how we do it. And if that's our attitude, it leads to one inevitable conclusion. And the cycle of the Kodak story is exactly that. Success in the end, because they didn't change, they didn't renew, leading to the eventual collapse of the company. Where do you think the Church of Scotland is in that scheme? I'll tell you where I think we are. I think we're there. You could argue that we're there. I think we're there. We're closing in, and we have been for years, and we need to find our way back to the path of renewal. We need to get back in touch with the reasons we have a church in the first place. I have some good news for you. We're working at it. Belhelvi has been accepted onto a three-year initiative called Path of Renewal. It's a, a Church of Scotland scheme which has been going for about five years and its aim is to help congregations come to terms with this new territory that we're in and recover that overarching vision of the church which is to see people come to know God for themselves and to live out their faith in their daily lives. We are part of the third cohort to go through and there are 19 other congregations up and down the land on board this time round including several in our own neck of the woods, in Ellen, in Afford, Cushney and Tuch, Upper Donside, and Port Lethen. I was at the first conference a few weeks ago, and it was an inspiring time. But the folk who run it are very keen that we get the message that this is a movement, not a program, as you'll see in the slide. They're not going to hand us a piece of A4 and say, here are the 10 things you need to do to turn things around in your congregation because the path of renewal will look different within every congregation depending on who's there and depending on the context of the parish. But broadly speaking, path of renewal is trying to help us become churches which are more engaged in our community, which, uh, whose gatherings and whose worship attracts others and which take discipleship seriously. Three legs keeping the stool up. And while we were at the conference, we heard some inspiring stories of what some congregations in earlier cohorts have been doing. In Camelon, in Falkirk, a very deprived area, 
One congregation started a food bank to help local people. And as they got to know more of their neighbors, they began to understand just how hard some people were finding it to make ends meet. With that in mind, they started a wee charity shop and they kept prices to a minimum so that they could really benefit the folk who needed it most. And with the money they raised from the charity shop, they were able to pay for a dance instructor to come to the church hall and give dance classes to local kids for free. Children who would normally never be able to afford a dance class were able to come and have fun through free tuition. Needless to say, the community's view of the church and what they're doing has changed a great deal over the last few years. That's just the tip of the iceberg in what they've been doing. Another colleague in Hamilton has developed innovative small group work with people who hadn't been involved in that kind of thing before. And her church are very involved in a group that are thinking about how to rejuvenate the town centre given that so many shops are closing up. And those links have opened up all kinds of opportunities for witness and service with folk outside the church. So how have they started to change direction? Well, each church in this process is encouraged to form a path of renewal group to start thinking about these things together, talking honestly about where we are, spending time in worship and in reading to try and discern what God's saying to us, and then starting to experiment a little around the edges of what we do to see where the life and the potential is. And I'm a chemist, a former chemist. I know that all the experiments won't work, but even a negative conclusion can actually help you to take the next positive step. We need to give ourselves permission and time to experiment a wee bit. And I'm excited about this, not least because Path of Renewal is a shared journey. Ask anybody in ministry and they'll tell you that it can be a lonely experience most of the time. I'm looking forward to being with people in this kind of intentional way. And although we don't have the answers at the moment, I believe that if we wait on God and take the time to genuinely listen, He will guide us on this next stage of our journey. I was praying Psalm 27 earlier in the week. I'm trying to go through the Psalms one a day for the, the rest of the year. And I was especially drawn in Psalm 27 to the last couple of verses which say this, I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So I need a group of folk willing to wait and think and pray over this with me. About eight to a dozen folk. We'd meet maybe once a month for a couple of hours and there would be one or two half-day Saturday conferences to go to which will be inspiring and they'll be held locally. So it's not going to be a huge time commitment for anyone. And the initial commitment I'm suggesting is for a year, although it would be my hope that that would extend, but if a year is all you can offer, give us a year. And if what you've heard today has fired you up a little and you'd like to be a part of that group, then please let me know and we can talk more about it. But the rest of you aren't off the hook. We're all in this together, whether you're in the Path of Renewal group or not, because it's your church's future that we're talking about. 
Now, I know I've done scant justice to Ezekiel this morning, for which I offer him my apologies. But one thing I noticed in this reading is how God uses him in this story. God presumably could have done all that he did in this vision without human involvement. But he chooses not to. That seems to be his way. Prophesy, he says. Prophesy to the bones. Prophesy to the wind. And it's when Ezekiel speaks up that things start happening. I think we too need to find our courage and our voices. What if God's work in this place is being hindered by our fear? What if he's waiting to do things here, but our reticence is the rate determining step? So here's your homework. And I'm deadly serious about this. I know you think I'm talking to the person in front of you, but I'm not. I'm talking to you. And if I had the time, I would go around and name each and every one of you here to make that point. I said earlier that there are whole generations missing from our church. And it's quite likely that some of them are people you know very well. Kids, grandchildren, spouses, friends, neighbors, colleagues. Many of them may well be members who never attend. Here's what I want you to do. Choose one or two and find out why they don't come. Now, I can't stress enough that this isn't about blame. So please don't buttonhole them and adopt an accusatory tone. The motivation here is curiosity. If you're scared to ask them directly, you could say that the church is doing an informal survey of why folk don't come to church so much these days, and you could ask them what their thoughts are. You might also ask them, and the purpose of this really, folks, is the conversation. You might ask them, what would they come to if it's not something like what we offer on a Sunday morning? Or how would this need to change to make it more attractive to them? We need that kind of feedback. So just to be clear, I am asking you, not the person in front, not the person behind, to find the right time to have a conversation with someone you know about why they don't come to church. And then I want you to let me know what they're saying. You can keep it anonymous if you want. That's fine. But I want you to get that information back to me by email or text or Facebook message. You can write a wee note and put it in my pigeonhole out in the vestibule. You can put a note on the collection plate. As long as it finds its way back to me, it doesn't matter. And I don't need an essay. I just need a line or two expressing their thoughts. I'm going to give you two weeks to do this. So I need your responses by Sunday the 16th of February. And the first thing I'm going to do when I report back on this is tell you how many responses I have had. This is our first step on the path of renewal. And we need to be taking that step together. I am not giving you 
and opt out this morning. I haven't done a head count. There's not that many here today. I would say 50. How many responses am I going to get? We shall see. Now, I know that might take you out of your comfort zone. It's going to take me out of my comfort zone. But that's a good sign because it shows that we are having a little adventure. And that's the kind of spirit we are going to need if we're going to find our way through the Rocky Mountains. Amen. We're going to continue in our worship now as our offerings are uplifted.